on the last off-season episode of the Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I are going to touch on a variety of subjects, including a conference we went to in Vancouver, the impact of legalization on the U.S. so far, and we're going to critique a video that was done which talks about what professional bettors do. We're even going to talk a little bit about what the what the hell a professional better really is, what our definition is. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the top app for sports bettors to get great information about betting and lines and follow all the scores, etc. And it's available for free on the App Store and the Google Play Store. So go download it. And with that, let's start the process. Welcome to the last off-season podcast of the Bet the Process podcast. I think next podcast, which will probably be in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be able to start diving into some real football, which will be fun and amazing. And we'll actually be able to talk about betting specifically, and we can give you picks because everyone wants picks. Maybe next week we can talk about futures. Do you think you'll have futures or in a couple of weeks you'll have futures? I mean, I've already gotten down a lot on features, but I'm still still working. You know, it's it's kind of scary that football season's so close. It feels like every year I start preparing pretty early, but there's still sort of a last minute scramble to get everything done. It was interesting that you're already down on features. I don't know. You've told told me to start following this Spanky dude on Twitter, and he was talking about how like he doesn't think real professional gamblers tie up their money for eight months or something like that because they can turn it over so many times in that time frame. He did. I think he also mentioned credit, though. I think that's the bigger issue. I think he was talking about like if you have a certain amount of credit at one of these offshore sports books, then um, you know you're tying up a lot of it because with with futures bets that are not going to be graded for months and months and months. Whereas if you just plop down some cash in a Vegas sports book, you know, you lock up those tickets for six months and you come back and, you know, if you can expect to get like a 10% return on those, I mean, I'll, I'll gladly take a 10% return in six months. And especially if that money wasn't going to be doing much for me during that six months. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like the, if you have like a bookie account, right. A lot of these things are like credit that resets each week and you can run out of it. But if you're like, have a legitimate offshore account, you can just, get more money or I'm sure you can work on an arrangement with them where you can have an additional amount in the amount that of your credit that's taken up. Anyways, I don't know, whatever. It's, it was just an interesting perspective because I, I think that actually is going to dovetail well into a topic that we're going to talk about later, which is just this whole concept of pro betters versus non pro betters and sharps versus Joe's or pros versus Joe's. And I kind of just think the whole thing's horseshit because there are people that are good at betting and some are pros and some of them aren't and they're people that are bad at betting um and some of those people probably would consider themselves to be pros and they don't really have any idea what they're talking about but before we get into that we were both up in vancouver with our good friend ted knutson i can't believe you doubted my ability to pronounce his name uh, <laughs> your track record is outstanding on, on pronunciation <laughs> it's only your name that I pronounce, and I pronounce it correctly probably about 50% of the time. That's not bad. I mean, in our whole time of knowing each other, 50% is good. Like, if, pretty good. I was a base, if I was a baseball player and I was hitting 500, you wouldn't be giving me shit about it, would you? 
No, it's true. Not unless I bet against you. It's true. But you wouldn't bet against me if I was a baseball player because I would be a five-tool player with sort of underrated no, skill yada, set. Yada, yada, Okay. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, we went to this uh, statistics conference, sports statistics conference in uh, Vancouver. Um, we met some great guys and uh, saw some pretty interesting presentations. And one I wanted to talk about um, was this, this epidemiologist who – um, talked about injuries and sort of like what all the predictors of injuries were or the factors that contributed to injuries in football. And I thought what I thought was sort of interesting um, beyond sort of the obvious stuff, and maybe this was obvious also, were one, the impact that that coaches can have on injuries. And he showed sort of like who the best coaches were at preventing injuries and who the worst and then also just the the huge impact of like turf versus grass. And it sort of made me wonder, like, if you're the NFL, why the hell would you allow teams to put turf in their stadiums? Like, this is your most important asset, these players. Why would you do anything that allowed a higher risk of them getting injured? It, it almost seems if, if you're the NFL Players Association, I would basically make a rule that, hey, any new stadium cannot have turf in it. It's got to have grass because just the the evidence seems so damning that, that this was, you know, I've always heard it anecdotally and it's kind of obvious, but it, it was so obvious from the data that that this was just a terrible idea was there any anything i assume you liked that um study also and oh, i, I love some study. things that yeah what were some things that came out to you was there anything from a betting standpoint that you found interesting well a lot of i, I love the methodology of it that he used a mixed effects model which is something i use frequently uh to sort of sort of tease out effects that that are without overfitting it's sort of a it's a bayesian type methodology i don't want to get into details of it but but i, I never actually thought about the sort of grass versus uh turf i mean I've, I've in terms of whether the nfl should legislate only grass fields i think a big problem though is that in some climates, it's really tough to, to grow good grass. I know the Steelers have a grass field, but they get so much crap because the field turns to, to crap every year. And, and the Redskins field like is notoriously awful. And it had and one thing I found really interesting was that, you know, I thought the Redskins field would probably FedEx field would probably be the most likely to cause injuries of the grass stadiums. And it actually was the least likely in the study. Now, I don't know how significant the, the stadium differences actually are. He didn't um, in the presentation. We didn't really sort of see what the population variation is on that. But um, I, I was very surprised by that. Yeah, I, I mentioned that to someone here, like to Mark Kamal. I don't know if you know him, but he, he works for the churning group and is part of the the group doing sort of a lot of the stuff. And um, it, it, he's done a lot of stuff with me in the past in terms of analytics. He's a really smart guy, huge Redskins fan. And he um, had the same thing where he's just like, that doesn't, you know, like the, the field is. But it kind of gets back to this idea that like, you know, sometimes we anecdotally believe things and the data just doesn't just doesn't bear it out. But I think so also that, other wait, Jeff, I think also other times we overfit the data, too. And it's possible that the, the differences between the stadiums weren't statistically significant in, in a real way. And, and we the way the data was presented there, it was a really cool graph. But I didn't it didn't really enable me to discern whether these how big these differences were um, in terms of like significance. 
Yeah, like I, I guess I guess one of the things that I that I saw from there that I thought was was you know damning evidence was just when you broke it down by stadium, the top ones were all the turf ones, right? And so right. Well, I so my question there is that why didn't he just why didn't he use a fixed effect for turf or grass and then look at random effects for stadiums within there? So sorry, we're getting there was like we're getting, there were like we're five that three there. Well, I don't want to give people ideas. Oops, <laughs> be quiet. I mean that's going to be. Well, what, why is that about? Why is that about it? Why is that a you know info no, you're that you're right. giving out that you think it's it's not like whatever. No, it would have been a good question to ask, right? I mean that, and I, it's like I know you're always worried about giving out you know real information that would give someone an edge against you betting, but I don't still I don't think that's falls in that category. <laughs> I mean markets uh, are. I, I'm not going to be able to stop markets from getting more efficient. Do you think markets tend towards efficiency, Rufus? I've never heard whether you think that. Do you think that or not? Because, like, I think that Marcus tends towards inefficiency. Do you think that's incorrect? <laughs> you're just trolling me now. I love that you're at least not going to respond to me. You Like, normally you'd be like, no, Jeff, I think markets tend towards efficiency. Uh, it's a very interesting concept, though, because I think that, you know, uh, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast the other day. And he did kind of an interesting podcast uh, called The Sports Reporters, which he's modeling after the ESPN Sports Reporters. And he, they did a segment on on gambling and legalization and what, what that's going to happen. And he said something like, well, you know, all the data and analytics that's made the markets efficient already and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the, the sort of mainstream, you know, I think he claims or thinks that he's a pretty – you know, expert in this world of sports gambling, it's like they just, there's still a mainstream world where people don't really know much about sports betting at all. And, you know, you're, you're seeing it um, right now in the U.S. with the legalization stuff that's happening, um, the way the media is covering it and like the people that are saying things, it drives like the Twitter people crazy. But the reality is it's great. It's great if people don't really, the mainstream media doesn't really understand sports betting because that makes it more and more opportunities for people to exploit sports gambling still because the markets will be will still be inefficient. Do you think that the legalization will yeah. make, you don't think it'll have any impact? Well, I mean, it's a global market. It really is. And I don't think, I, I, I don't know. It, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this because I don't know how, how much um, square action legalization is going to entice and how much relative to sharp action. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think none of us know. And I think that if you look at the early, you know, early what's happening early on with William Hill having such a big part in the United States casinos, if that's plays out, that's not going to be sharp action, obviously. And that's not going to be a lot of handle. That's just going to be, a lot of you know recreational players and um you know william hill is going to be happy to do their you know five or seven percent hold or whatever they can hold because they're not taking real action um well we're talking to ted were you surprised sorry go ahead well so william hill actually held i think like 12 percent or something in the first month and actually uh, a reporter i'm not going to name um came to me and asked me about that and and why it's so much greater than what Vegas holds. And I had to explain to him the difference between a theoretical hold percentage and what a book actually holds in a month. And I bet I know who it was. Well, let's, 
Anyway, but but the point the point is that I think a lot of people any that are that covering this Twitter, any of you hey, follows on Twitter, just get try to guess it. Try to guess it. No, like that's not the point, Jeff. The point is like I don't want to call somebody out. The point is basically that I think a lot of these mainstream reporters just don't really understand it that well. It's kind of important to call people out, though. I mean, that's kind of like what but, we do on the show. And I, I'm not what? I, I respect I, I respect your desire not to like be okay. the one that's but it's I don't want to call him out because he actually asked me about this and I explained it to him and now he understands it. OK, so I think I think I don't think he deserves any sort of public shaming for for that. Right. And if but any other there was I mean, there was a lot of talk about that and the, the stuff that was written about it or the ideas and even like people that understand gambling like were you know, wrong about, I mean, like, it's such a small sample size. Right. And like, uh, it's just, uh, right. it's crazy. Like how poorly, I mean, if we go back to like the media frenzy that's happening right now, like, you know, they announced they're going to have this sort of daily show on Fox. Um, and I know that ESPN is working on some sort of a, a show. I don't know if it's going to be a daily show and the action network is, you know, like filling up their war chest, um, it, it's it's crazy to see how this stuff is going to be covered and how um, there's almost this sort of land grab of coverage because, you know, like a lot of the people that they're getting to do this just don't know what they're talking about. And someone asked me the other day, they go, well, who would you get? And I was like, I, I really don't know. Like, I mean, like, I think, you know, we've I, I have always had, even though he's a tout like Preston, you know, the sports cheetah, I think, does want to do stuff. And, and I think he's very smart. Um, Wait, and actually he still does touting? Gamble. Um, he's not officially touting because he's he's actually like he's writing for this DFS site called Roto Grinders. And within that, he's producing content, I think, Roto Grinders or something, something like that. He's and with that, he's producing content for them. But some of it is premium content. Okay, so, so, so in a writing. way, it's kind of Jeff. In a way, that's kind of like what you and I did at ESPN. We we produced content, which some of which was free on Sports Center, and some of which was, or in my case, like Sports Center on ESPN three or whatever. Um, you, <laughs> the OJ on regular ESPN, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but but some of it was behind a, a subscription paywall, I think. Which you know the ESPN. Yeah, and, I mean, like there's you can even say that even just being on ESPN is is not is charging people because they're monetizing it through advertising. That's true. So We've I'm, been called out for that. Yeah, I mean, there's it, it, again like this world is a challenging world and the only way that I can think about modeling it is, is, or thinking about it similarly is to like the financial markets when people try to give out information on stocks and things like that. Um, you know, we'll always try to be as genuine and as informative and as we can. Um, but you know, we get called out all the time for, for things. So it's just, it's just a hard thing to do. Like you got called out last year, for quote unquote, you know, cherry picking your record on Massey Peabody or, or tweeting out how you done for recently. tweeting out how I did the previous week. I tweet that out every week though. I'm like coming off a of one and no, four. I, week. Listen, I don't I don't think that you're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that it's really easy to also point out that people are like anything that people do in this world. I mean, like the the concept, like do you think the concept of a daily sports betting show is a good concept or do you think it's just like I don't know. Like, I, I don't know because I don't know what it actually is. But I think in general, like, what would you do if you at? if you were if you were given, you know, ten million dollars to develop a sports betting daily show for you know ESPN? What would you do besides hire me for nine point nine million? 
I, I honestly have no idea what I'd do with the, re- the, the last 100,000. I mean, maybe I'll just <laughs> give it to you. But, but you, you, you jump topics really quickly because I think a lot of what you were saying was just sort of this whole notion of things being black and white versus shades of gray. And I kind of, I kind of believe firmly, and I think most betters do, that, that there are shades of gray. And that, I mean, because that's, that's how you have to view things, I think, to be a successful better. I know. In this case, shades of gray. What are you talking about? Just like what are, the way you view the world. Things aren't all black and white. You know, right. it's not like I'm. So people that equated like to me equating Aaron Schatz to um, Vegas Dave is not at all a fair comparison. You know, but some people are like, but some people think it is. But but, but okay, we've covered this before. Yeah, we have. Problem, no, I don't want to get problem. back into that. But no, 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 no. But it's it's actually like I think it's a fascinating concept that. So Vegas Dave. So a smart person, okay, will fall for Aaron Schatz more than he will fall for Vegas Dave. And the intention of Aaron Schatz and his inability, like he's irresponsible in like selling his stuff for gambling purposes when it's not something that he really knows or knows whether it even necessarily works for gambling purposes. Well, do you, do you know how much football outsiders has an effect in the futures market? As I'll tell oh, you, well, when they release their season win totals, the market just moves like a crazy shit ton. Right. So, okay. So you're saying that like, irregardless of whether you can use his stuff to bet week in, week out, there's value to the content that they're selling, whereas the value that Dave, Vegas Dave is selling has zero content, zero yeah, value. Well, the other thing is, I mean, Vegas Dave is a scammer. I think he's his intention is to scam people. I don't think Aaron Schatz has that intention at all. I think he provide his site provides very useful information. It's a, and I think it's almost like the sort of ESPN model, right? Like the the picks are inside of this broader array of of things he offers, and so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a tough one though because like I, even like there's this uh, company that I talked to. Um, where they're selling one of their, it's like an analytics company that does a lot of stuff for DFS and all this kind of stuff, but they're, they also have a betting product and he was telling me about the betting product and he basically told me that, you know, one of the reasons he likes the betting product is that by doing it, he's increasing the long-term value of the customer for the sports books, meaning like, because like people know more about sports they're betting more and therefore they're worth more and the casinos are generating more revenue or the sports books are generating more revenue. And I was like, wait, that is, is the he, most fucked up thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, you getting you, a kickback from sports books or is he just saying this is going to promote the sports he, betting? He, want, he wants to, he wants to basically get a kickback from sports books. Oh, okay. And like he, he believes that that was like another potential revenue source. And I was just like, that is so screwed up that you think that way. And like, I, I basically hung up like, have you no morals right away. Yeah, I basically ended almost ended. But my my point is that in his world, he's just trying to make a living. And in Aaron Schatz's world and Football Outsiders, he's just trying to make a living. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is not necessarily scamming people. He's just not he's quite as people. upfront about it as I think. I think wait, wait, if you what, what is he lying about? Is he lying about anything? I think that he is marketing his information for sports betting. And basically doing it in a way that that makes people believe that if they bet his stuff, they will win. Right. And I think that is a scam in some ways. Is he, you know, like what's up? I mean, is any place that sells fantasy football 
projections doing the same thing too. I mean, I guess the point is there's so many people selling their projections, selling their system, selling, you know, what value they provide. And you're right. It's up to the consumer to decide what has value and what doesn't. And I, I, but I think there's a difference between that and, and outright falsifying things. Right. Yeah. That's that's just me. And I, and I do, by the way, I do judge people based on intentions and I know you can say, well, that doesn't really actually matter if they're at, if they're still screwing people over, but, but I I do judge people based on intention. If someone like, you know, sleeps with my girlfriend or, well, (laughs) sorry, this is something that happened in the past, but you know, and it's a friend of mine. Um, like if, if he didn't know it was my (laughs) girlfriend, I'm not going to blame him. Right. No, my, my, but I do think, we're, yeah, I, I do judge people's actions based on their intentions because in just like in sports betting in life, there's a lot of randomness and things that you can't control. And so I judge people based on what they can control. I think that's fair. And, based and, on what they know. Yes. And it's, I don't think it's fair to, to, to sort of criticize someone for something they might just not. I mean, you can criticize them, but like if they don't understand it that well, then it's not like their intentions are bad. They just don't understand it. Yes, I get it. And okay. I think like, you know, I think that the re- other reason that that um, that Aaron gets a lot of crap is that he has been very sensitive to any real um, criticism of what he's doing. And now this is where we get back to like the, the Seville world being a little bit bad at actually trying to create like a constructive discourse on anything because they take this point of view of, of, of kind of being dicks um, to try to challenge anyone. And it, it doesn't put people in the best um, light, a best position to have like a real, you know, constructive conversation or discussion about any of this stuff. Um, I, com- so, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, so, it's, it makes it divisive, right? I mean, when do you ever challenge, when do you ever change someone's opinion by antagonizing them? Like, have you ever tried having a political discussion with someone and by the first thing you tell them is that they're wrong? Like you what you want to do is you, wait, what you, you can't need to do is have a political conversation other... in this country anymore. Like the no, political the... conversation in this country all put people on the defensive right away. No matter how hard you try to just say, hey, listen, you know, like I'm just I just want to talk about right and wrong. And so, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. No, I agree with you 100 percent. Right. And so but some people are pretty. Cage my point is, I guess, maybe in this is like some people are really hard to even approach like chats is probably a bit hard to even approach um about a constructive constructive conversation i bet like if one of you or i went up and tried to have a constructive conversation with them it'd be really hard um because he would be defensive almost right away yeah but i i i still think so so here's a good example i i retweeted this tweet from i think i saw someone else had tweeted it um, I don't remember who, but a method for it says method for a successful conversation about politics. And I think this kind of is generalizable to just anything where someone else has a different point of view. One, you should not try and persuade the other person of your point of view. You should try and understand their point of view. Two, if you're not getting anywhere, assume that either you need to be clear with your questions or that you need to try harder to understand where they're coming from. If you get to a point where you understand the other person's point of view clearly enough that you can explain it back to them, then even if you do not agree, the conversation is a success. So if everybody approaches it that way, then everybody learns. And I think that's- should should tweet out, tweet that out. It's good. I I retweeted it. I did. Okay. I'll have to go to your Twitter. What is it? Rufus Peabody? Peabody. Peabody. Um, Got it. Uh, let's see. What else did we want to talk about from the move on? So, so <laughs> William Hill banning players. 
Oh crazy, yeah, because right? you mentioned Spanky with the futures, but I think like his, his, he's a very interesting Twitter follow in general. But um, I, I like what he's doing in terms of try, drawing attention to the fact that these sports books do ban winning betters, and I think a lot of people don't really understand that. Um, I think those people are more outside of the sports betting world, but um, I do think it's important to draw awareness to that. Well, theoretically, I don't think they should be able to ban players in like, yeah. New Jersey, right? Because in New Jersey, it's the same. I, I mean, it's the same situation as it should be the same situation as card counting, right? Where right, but, in Las Vegas, they can ban people, but in New Jersey, they can't. They can probably just make you have really low limits. Well, according to this video, they they outright ban him. But even if they if you have low limits, it's the same thing. If they say we'll take ten, I know. But I'm just saying, like legally, I don't think they're allowed to ban people from. Or maybe they can. Well, I don't know because they can't ban you from playing blackjack in New Jersey, like in Atlantic City. They can but, make it so that you can't bet more or you can't change your bet or anything like that. They made it just really hard to win. Or but impossible, you know, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is it's semantics. But anyway, I, I do think that. What I really would like is for some reporter on the gambling beat to actually try to dive deep into this and do some investigative reporting and actually sort of like. But what's the investigative reporting? We don't we don't talk to people that have been, you know. But what I mean, what what is it? What is what does it end up? The result of it is William Hill bans players that they believe are are not and. You know, that they're not going to make money off of that. They're going to lose money to. I'll tell you what the result is. Sorry to interrupt. The result is basically to try to lobby to have to allow more books uh, in in a more competitive marketplace. I think if you have just a few books and and they're all the William Hills of the world, the places that are, you know, going to do the same thing, you know, in New Jersey and other states that they've been doing in Las Vegas and before that and the United Kingdom, um, you know, if, if you just have a few of those, it's not really an open marketplace and it's worse for the consumer. Shouldn't okay. This, so, yeah. so, so basically, well, yeah. So I think what you're saying is it's important to, but I guess, I guess I'm wondering like who needs to know this or who needs to understand this. And it's potentially that it's potential that the, the people, you know, like, I think what we believe, right, is that we could run a sports book better than William Hill and allow more open betting, allow you know sharps to bet into our stuff, um, and make more money in the long term than William Hill does, potentially with more variance and potentially with more risk, but make more money um, over the long haul than they than they do. Correct? Yeah, because we could use that the sharps information to our advantage. Right, and we can move things, and and theoretically, as if I, I think, I think the, so, what I what I wonder about, right, is as you say, like you want a writer to come in and write about this, you know, what what's the first step, right? The first step is making people, and and at this case, like who are we talking about, people, like aware that there are practices that right now in in the sports betting world where they believe that people are not profitable for them to allow betting to, and therefore they ban them. So, you know, if I bring this back to sort of my world, which is the blackjack world, it's like sort of making people aware that there's such a thing as card counting. Now, whenever it happens and people are like, oh, you know, like, did you, did you get to keep the money? And I'll be like, of course I got to keep the money. It's not illegal. And they're like, it's not illegal. Then why aren't you allowed to do it? Like, well, they have the right to refuse service to anyone they want um, as long as they're not discriminating and based on some sort of like sex, race or gender or whatever. 
and uh, and you know at, at that point they're like oh that that kind of seems like wrong and it's like yeah of course that's wrong so I guess the first thing that you're saying is we need to expose to people that this is happening right and once we expose to people that it's happening then we need to figure out like I don't know like do you understand what I'm saying like I'm just wondering like yeah like why? I completely like, know like it's interesting saying. it's interesting because we're all betters that would love for a more open market but like when does someone actually say like oh fuck we need to do something about this because this is wrong and the only way that they would do it is if they felt like it would give them more dollars right so if regulators believe that like if, if you know what's gonna okay here's what's gonna happen they're gonna do this in these states and they're gonna get shitty amounts of money from it because that's just not going to have high handle. And like, yep. you know, people are going to make the small margin at some point in say two to three years, the people are going to look around and be like, Hey, we thought we were going to get X and we're getting like a 10th of X. And that's when we swoop in and we say, okay, fine, let us take over um, these places or give us a license and we'll do this and we'll guarantee you, you know, or we'll, yeah, we'll guarantee. We probably would have to do some sort of like almost like minimum guarantee to, to like a sports book to like take over their operations from a William Hill at that point. Maybe that's yeah. the way to do it. Like you, you, you bet on your ability to do this and you bet on your ability um, to go after this. And then you take over from, from the William Hills of the world. Cause if we believe they're sort of like stingy, Maybe that's the way to do it. Well, the William Hills oh. are booking, you know, they're very risk averse. They want consistent profits and they're leaving money on the table by doing that. And and they're definitely, it's definitely resulting in less handle. Yeah. I'm just saying like, it, it, you know, when I think about like the evolution of this market, like when does this become something that like we can a actually act on and like, why, why do you want like a perdom to write this article? It's because you want to make people more aware that this practice is happening, and then we can actually use this that article as a way to inform people. Like, if you didn't do this, you potentially could have a much more liquid market, a much bigger market, much more money in the market, and you could make more money long term if you're, you know, whomever regulators getting tax or whatever states getting tax. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's got to well, be a moment where people are like, "Holy shit, this, this is happening. This is being run poorly. We need right. to fix this." Well, I, I want like I don't want like a gambling writer to write about it. I want someone to write about it in like the Washington Post or New York Times or Wall Street Journal. And people are like, wow, like if you're a winning sports better, you're treated like a card counter. But, you know, people don't really realize that. And, and once that comes to light, I think that, you know, among the sort of outside the sports betting world, um, I think that's when you might actually get some change. Yeah, I don't think that I mean, like, it, it's interesting because like now I'm thinking about what kind of writers we would want to write this. Um, yeah, we can more maybe brainstorm off the air about this because it, it, it's kind of now more interesting now to me if I think about it, like the fact that this is happening and equating it to like, you know, like to just the same thing is like you're too good at something so you're not allowed to do it. That's so un-American. I was going to say, how un-American is that? Yeah, it's very un-American. It's very un-American. I mean, we could put together some sort of ad with like, you know, patriotism and all that and being like being able to be a winner and, you know, William Hill is un-American. Yeah, well, which is actually true because they are British. I'm trying to think of like what writers I could get that might be interested in this. I have a you know, short like, list. Let's, let's talk about it off the air. 
I wonder if Michael Lewis would be interested in writing a short thing about this. That's a great idea. And you know what? I've, my sister actually is did some stuff for her for my, well with Michael Lewis. You know, like I know Michael really stuff. well. I, like I Michael and I, Michael and I have lunch like every couple and, months usually. We so, haven't we had lunch a couple months ago, but then before that we hadn't had a lot of time. But yeah. So name speaking drop, of Michael Lewis. No, I know my, my sister met him. I haven't met him. You met you know him. And you know, someone asked well asked me, I was doing one of these like I don't know if you know the New York Times, like 36 questions to fall in love or something like that. Um, yeah. And don't, you're, don't supposed to, you're supposed to, you're supposed to fall in love with Michael Lewis. Well, no, one of the questions was who would you, uh, if you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be? And for people, like I kind of broke it down to alive and dead. I forget who dead was, but, but I remember I picked Michael Lewis. Well, he's writing he, a book. His, his newest book is actually about, sort of analytics in the weather industry. It's actually a kind of fascinating book. And he's writing about one of the main characters in his book is, is DJ Patil, who is, was the, um, national or the, the he was the CTO of America. I'm sorry. He was the uh, chief data scientist of the United States under the Obama administration. So that wasn't, they didn't have that position before. He, I think he was the first one that ever had it. Um, but he's like a kind of a, a legend in the Silicon Valley area as a, sort of one of the, the top names in data science. But he's just an ordinary dude. And, um, you know, he's, you know, Michael, maybe Michael will write about you one day, Rufus. That'll be our goal. I hope not. Why? I don't know. But I definitely will read his next book, uh, you know, even though I've never heard of the data science guy or the, the weather guy, but it sounds really interesting. Well, it's like, I don't know if you heard of Climate Corp. Have you heard of Climate Corporation? No, You'll but find I'm not sure how many of our users are interested in, in weather analytics. Really? Like weather analytics is fascinating. This book's uh, going to be fascinating. Did you know that? I, the I, I agree. I agree. It's very fascinating. However, we're a football podcast, right? We're, we're not podcast, a football podcast. We're, we're, we're an analytics and betting podcast. Okay. I think I'm thinking about having a podcast next week where I interview this guy who's an actor who's in this movie Crazy Rich Asians, which is like this awesome movie that I saw last week. And I want to like interview him and talk about hard hitting Asian American issues so people could just decide not to listen to that also. But it'd be easy to put it up on my anyways. Uh, OK, let's move on to our last segment, um, which is around sort of like talking, I think I'd like to do this because I think it usually gets good feedback from people. There is a video that um, one of the websites that uh, Toutish website put up and it was sort of the top five things that professional betters do. Um, and I think that this notion of pro betters and this, you know, like I, I think it's almost like this dangerous notion uh, for recreational betters because you know, like, like I said, there's, there's not like a, there's not like a, a, it's not like a binary. It's not like a Boolean where there's pro betters and there's recreational betters and one are good and one are bad. There's good betters, there's bad betters. And there's also like a continuum of, of people. And so to, to make these sort of like narratives that pro betters do certain things and don't do certain things, I think is very dangerous. So the, the first thing that they said is that pro bettors will not bet a line that moves against them. And I think that's false, right? I mean, right. Like, but wait, before, before we get into this, can I ask you a question about what a pro better actually is? Like, would you consider Kelly in Vegas who hosted this segment to be a pro better? Uh, I mean, I don't know very much about her. And from what I hear about her, well, I mean, I don't know. Does she make her live? I would I would consider a pro better to be someone that makes their living 
by just betting. Right. Period. I wouldn't consider Marco D'Angelo to be a pro better. He, you know, he has a site wager talk, which is, you know, I disagree with, but, um, and, and he's, he's sell he's sold picks for the last like 30 something years. You don't sell picks for 30 years if you're making a living betting. Right. Okay. You know, I think that, so, so I, I would agree with you. Um, and that's maybe my point too. And I, I did a much worse job articulating it than you did where you're just saying wait, like that's the a first. notion of, no, that's I articulated first. something better than you did. You, that's not a first. It might be a first. You, you, you did a good job. And so the point of this then maybe is just the notion that pro betters, like the definition of a pro better. And again, like most pro betters, no one even knows what they do because they're pro betters and they're not just going to, they're not going to show you anything of what, what they do. Right. They're, they're like you worried about talking about mixed effect models to a crowd on a podcast that, you know, two people listen to. So, um, they're, they're very, they're very, uh, they keep things keep things under wraps. Okay, so let's just let, then let's just define like let's let's in this case define pro betters to be winning betters. How about that? Okay, I like that. Okay, okay. So in this world, we're saying winning betters will not bet a line that moves against them. True or false? I mean, just like I said before, there's no absolute rules. I think well, there's 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 definitely cases. Like what? What if the what if the what if the line moved against you and you got new information? Yeah, like, you know, although like, I don't think like that's if, what they were talking about in the segment. I think they were referring to you know if if you make a you know if you were going to make a bet and then it moves and you're like ah oh, I still got to make that bet. Right, but if 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 there was so much value in that bet to start with, even if it moves a little bit against you, you probably would still make that bet. Correct. Right. Let, let's say let's say that there was some baseball line at you know minus one thirty, um, and when I went to bed and I, f- I forgot to run overnight baseball or something like that, and then the next and I make the line minus one fifty, and the next morning it comes out and it's minus one thirty three, I'm still going to bet it. Right. Exactly. So that's false. Let's move to the next one. Pros don't bet parlays or bet fewer parlays. I'll say true. Oh, yeah, it's probably true. Um, we've talked about parlays ad nauseum, so there's kind of no reason to talk about it more. Pros look at box scores, not final scores. Well, I mean, no, they don't look at box scores. They look more detailed, I would think. But 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 the principle, but the principle is they look more detailed. They they look at more detail rather than less detail. But see, the reason they look at process over outcome. Yes. So the reason that I have a problem with that one is because it makes you think so directionally it's correct right directionally you need to look beyond the box beyond the final score exactly. but you also need to look beyond the box score also because the box score is very readily um available information to people and the box scores will lie also so you have to look i think that hopefully the the, the theory behind that right is like and we're bet the process so we're trying to give you process driven sort of uh ways of looking at things is to sort of try to find you know things that happened um in the game that don't that aren't in the final score or aren't in the box score like contextualization whatever it is but but you need to you need to sort of like look beyond the final score and beyond the box score right um, i think like for example, let's say you have a you know a, a, a blowout college football game. It, the score is like you know thirty nine to three in the fourth quarter, and then the team that was down thirty nine to three ends up you know scoring like you know moving the ball down the field before throwing, like turning the ball over on downs 
like two different times and in racking up a bunch of yards and helping their you know per play averages and the game suddenly looks like you know it suddenly looks like well they weren't actually 36 points worse than this other team but in reality you know the other team had their backups in right so that's that's an example i would say of looking beyond um the box score but i, I think that in general what you need to do is look, get the most granular detail you can or granular data you can and 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 sort of build up from there and you can actually identify what's important and, and find things that that are not going to be in the box score. So I completely agree with you. Uh, this one, I don't, it was kind of around how pros find value, where, where they find value <laughs> for this idea of, you know, betting on like even Doug, Doug Kazarian's been like giving people crap about sharps betting on the Browns all the time. Cause that's where the value is and all this kind of stuff. And like, I mean, uh, I think like the notion of of people trying to find value. I mean, that's of course what people try to do when they bet on games, right? They're trying to find uh, a place where they have information or a model or process information different than the market. Um, and and yes, this notion that you know you're probably not going to get value on the best best teams um, that everyone knows are great because the lines are going to reflect that. Um, I think that's probably relatively true, um, but it's it's again like it's 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 a nothing statement. It's saying like, hey, you got to try to find value. Um, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't like the Browns much at all last year in general. I mean, I don't think I had very many bets on them at all, and I know they were a team that was was supposedly uh, like a favorite of the sharps, the pros. But Doug actually just reached out to me today, um, asking for a quote about a, a story he's doing for golf betting, and and asked me if. Like if I ever found value on Tiger Woods, I think the whole point there was that like Tiger Woods is a guy that, you know, that he's a, you know, he's a guy that public loves, right? The, he's a Jordan Spieth of the world, um, or I should say Jordan Spieth has become a Tiger Woods of the world just because of how successful he's been in, in his big name. And I said, yes, of course. I, you know, I, I bet on Tiger Woods after the second round of the British Open at 80 to one to win because there was value there. And so, I mean, there's just because I'm getting, you're right. I'm going to find less value on Tiger Woods generally than I will on some, than like a, you know, a Keegan Bradley or like a, you know, Emiliano Grio or, you know, somebody <laughs> like that. The, Is the, it his the, name Emanly, Eman, Emanlio Grio? I think it's Emiliano Grio. No, it's Emilio. Is it, is it Millie Vanilli? It, <laughs> it might be. I don't know. I was I nobody Argentina. calls nobody calls me anymore about betting stories. It's sort of sad. I'm like a has been, never was. Was well, you're was. the blackjack expert who can't play yeah. blackjack anymore? Uh, okay, last one, and this one was really bad. It's talking about betting streaks, and what's funny about it is that the host of the show didn't even really, I think, understand the question. <laughs> so the idea was betting streaks, and the the notion was. When you are quote unquote seeing things really well and you should bet more or keep going after it, and when you're not seeing things well when you're losing, you shouldn't double down or you shouldn't bet more. And the notion that you know your previous 10 bets have any predictive power on your next 10 bets is crazy. <laughs> Correct. However, if they had an impact on your bankroll, and you lost 10 in a row, you should be betting less. True. True. My bad. I mean, right. I don't think if that's you... what I don't think that's what they were getting at. Maybe it is. Right. But... They were there was okay. So 
That's a good point, Rufus. You're again, this is like the second time that you just nailed this better than I did. Probably what we should talk about is how you should handle situations where you are on a cold streak or a hot streak. And let's just call a cold streak or a hot streak variance, which is what it is. Um, you're going to, if you flip a coin a hundred times, you're going to get tails 10 times in a row, probably at some point, maybe, um, it's not going to be, it's not going to mean that coin wasn't a fair coin. It's, it doesn't mean anything beyond the fact that like randomness and variance happens. So what should you do if you're losing a lot? Well, if you're losing a lot, I think there's some point where you need to reevaluate you know, like one, you should probably figure out based on your edge, what you think your theoretical edge is and the sample size, like what standard deviation event this was. So like in blackjack, if one of us was losing or if the team was losing a lot, we did analyze our play to understand like, was this a two standard deviation event, a three standard deviation event? And if you do that, you can understand what the probability of this happening was. Is this out of the realm of probability or is this something that could happen? So you can do that with your own results and understand what's the, you know, what's the outcome, what's the chance of this happening. And if it's something that you're comfortable with, then, you know, basically just reflect your new bank size based on your loss and your bets going forward. If it's not something that you're comfortable with, then you should probably reevaluate your methods and try to understand. And you can look at things like, are you not getting closing line value anymore? Um, You know, whatever it is. Um, And and so uh, if you're winning a lot, I think you got to be careful, but you can raise your sort of bankroll based on um, the fact that you have a higher bankroll if you're going to be aggressive and, and, and whatnot. What do you think of that? Right. I mean, so, Jeff, um, the first thing that popped to my mind actually was an example. I, you know, because I, I told you know that I bet baseball and, and I've, I've, uh, I tend to do very well in the beginning part of the season and I've never ever had a winning July. So I generally take a few weeks off around the All Star break now because, you know, I, deserve a vacation, I think. And, you know, I, I tried to look into why and, and, but says the guy that's been in like every amazing place over the last year. (laughs) And, and right now I'm, everybody's out, you know, doing some taco tour and here I am, uh, you know, doing a podcast and going to the bathroom. But you're also in because you're doing stuff for golf. So stop acting like the podcast is ruining your day. Well, and and tacos yesterday ruined my day today, but, but (laughs) That that's not the point. The point is I'm the the point is a cold streak in July would actually mean something to me. Um, and I think that a cold streak based on process in terms of not getting line moves would mean something to me. And right now I'm I'm actually betting. Normally I don't bet baseball again or very much after um, the first half of the season because I'm too busy prepping for football, as well as doing you know it's summer's very busy for golf. But um, but this season I am because I have like someone actually doing the handling and trading for me. And so, but I'm, but I'm kind of reintroducing it slowly and making sure that, especially given all these sort of trades that have happened and stuff, I'm actually, I am analyzing how I'm doing um, in the short run, mostly in terms of line moves, but also in terms of result to sort of impact my bet size. I, I might be wrong, but, but it's, it's something that I don't have the, as much data on. So Yep. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally, totally. All right, well, let's let you get back to your PGA stuff and your recovering from tacos. And uh, I'm going to go 
enjoy the 55 degree august weather in san francisco um I, should i give any uh pga championship picks yeah, yeah do, do it do it give, just, give, give a couple pga teasers i want to well i want to let everybody know one thing there's there's a matchup out there um of zach johnson against davis love the third and that is a matchup between zach j johnson not zach johnson the zach johnson you know so if if you get one thing from this, don't be fooled into don't, thinking. Don't just you're, you're blindly really... bet Zach Johnson against Davis Love, saying like, "Oh my God, Davis Love is like eighty years old, and Zach Johnson's like still good." Right, and like right now, Zach Johnson's lined at like minus one ninety or something. Or sorry, Davis Love is lined at like minus one ninety, and and Zach John Zach J Johnson, we'll call him ZJJ, is like a club pro, and so I have like no data on him, so I can't even price it. But uh, I'm not actually um, betting on it. But I think. It's got to be higher than minus one ninety, I would think. So, um, anyway, well, you, I, I feel you, like do you I think that like it's everybody... getting some action because people don't oh, know it's the other Zach. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, I, I, I totally think it is. That's amazing. I, I don't know for sure, but I totally think it is. That's anyway, amazing. so for um, for value betting on outrights, I'll give uh, a few guys that I like and have bet on. Um, I liked Justin Rose. I th- um, it. I got him at I think twenty five to one odds. I make him eighteen to one. Uh, you know, I let's see who I have as the favorite. I've I've Dustin Johnson as the favorite, followed by Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, and Justin Thomas. So the, I mean, the favorites. There's 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 I kind of like who the market does there. You know, there's not a ton of value there, but um, obviously there's more opportunities with sort of the bigger underdogs. One guy I like uh, who is Louis Oosthuizen. Um, surprisingly. I actually have him like 52 to one and there's like prices of like a hundred to one out there on him. So that's, that's a, that's a nice value bet. He's someone that generally performs better in majors than he does regularly. And and there is some predictive value to that. Um, Oh, can I give the long shot of the week? Sure. The long shot of the week is for me is my favorite guy. Uh, favorite guy who always gets second place, Jim Furyk at a thousand to one. Wow. I like that. Could win yeah, a lot of money at a thousand to one. You do. Actually, it's nine hundred and fifty-seven to one after commission. Sorry, but still, I, I make him six hundred and eighty-one to one. So that's you know that that that's serious value there. You're going to win one out of six every six hundred and eighty-two times. That's awesome. Uh, do you have any 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 good matchups that are still have some value? Um, doubtful, but um. <laughs> I I could tell you who some of my let's see if I faded anybody in particular. Uh, you know I, I've I, I kind of like Fleetwood a little bit. But over... everybody seems to like Fleetwood these days. So well, I, I was I was stuff. super against him. I was super against him, and and I mean I guess who he's matched up with right now. Like I mean I'll, I'll tell you I, I I'm pretty anti Spieth. I, I think Spieth has been overrated um, most of the year. He's he's not been playing that well this year, and he's played he has played well at, at majors, but it's. Um, I, you know, I think he is, is someone that, that I, I'm against a good amount. And, and I actually make him only I, his odds of winning, um, only 49 to one. So, and you, can we the bet market, him to the miss market, the cut? You could, I'm sure you, you can bet things like, it depends on where you're betting, but you can bet, you know, at some of the, the exchanges, um, you can bet like whether a guy is top five or not, you can buy or buy and sell. So Jordan Spieth is is the Masters version of Bubba Watson right now. 
I mean, nobody's the master's version of Bubba Watson. That was, it was crazy how much exposure I had against Bubba Watson and, and how badly it turned out. <laughs> All right. Well, that was very nice of you, Rufus, to give us some more golf plays. Um, and wait, if anybody has like a golfer, I'm not going to, don't just ask me for golf bets, but if you like, or like Rufus, what do you think of such and such a guy? Like, like I'm just going to bet him. I'll be like, Okay, I think that's not a good bet. I, I'll, 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 I'll give you some guidance, but I'm not going to just kind of come right out and give away all my stuff. So but you can tweet. So if you DM want. Rufus or um, or just mention him on Twitter, and he'll give you some guidance. So he is the golf sage. I'll, I'll prevent right, you from making bad bets. <laughs> that's probably as much as you can do. But almost all these bets at this point are going to be bad bets. So you're going to just tell everyone not to bet. That's kind of what I figure. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And as always, we'll, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.